thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm your host, Andrew Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Let me tell you something, guys. We have a wonderful show lined up for you guys today. First, I'm going to be chatting with Matt the Steamroller for Avola as he gets ready for his fight at UFC 257 against Atman Aziatar. It's certainly an exciting fight, and he gives a lot of insight into the preparation for this upcoming fight, as well as healing from a recent injury. Then, me and Shockwave Dave are going to be breaking down the card itself, UFC 257, as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, your favorite segment that gives you a little bit of insight into the fights, as well as some friendly gambling advice if you are the type who likes to put a dollar or two down on the fights. And of course, I'll be wrapping up this wonderful show with an interview with Juliana Pena, who's getting ready for her bout with Sarah McMahon. It's certainly going to be a fun one between those two as well, so you're going to want to tune in to that interview to get a little insight on that fight as well. Now, before we get to any of that great stuff, i got to let you know that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Jock Market. Look, we've all played Daily Fantasy Sports and saw one of our guys put up an absolute dud of a first half. You almost wish you could just sell off that player and start fresh in the second half. Well, now you can with Jock Market. Jock Market is the only Daily Fantasy Sports app that allows you to buy and sell players as stock commodities while the games are going on. You start by bidding on IPOs of players and Jock Market issues the shares to the highest bidders right before the games begin. From there, you can buy and sell with other users as the prices of your players rise and fall with their performance and the demand for them. At the end of the night, Jock Market pays out based on their final performance and the number of shares that you have. Jock Market is, of course, live right now for NBA, NFL playoffs, and PGA. So head on over to the App Store or the Google Play Store and download Jock Market today. When you sign up, be sure to use promo code TURTLE10 for a free $10 on your first deposit of $20 or more. Jock Market brings you this episode. Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. And this is Daniel Gumpy Vreeland, joined now by Matt Fravolo, who fights Atman Aziatar at UFC 257. So, Matt, I know, obviously, that, that leading up to a couple of fights, you, you had some, some things fall through, obviously, two COVID cancellations. You had an, a foot injury as well, if I'm not mistaken. How, how frustrating has it been waiting to get another fight? Yeah, it was uh, definitely a rough uh, 2020, uh, but, you know, everybody had a rough 2020. And then the end of the day, you know, I was I was training the whole year. I was working on my craft. I was leveling up. And, uh, you know, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing than just, you know, training. It was frustrating that I wasn't able to get a fight last year, but, uh, you know, I kept, I kept at it. I knew my opportunity would come, and now, you know, we're on a, even bigger card, the Conor McGregor pay-per-view on Fight Island against the undefeated opponents. So, you know, it all worked out. And, and I know you mentioned in there, too, leveling up. I, I saw on your social media recently you working with Ray Longo and some of the guys up in New York. Is, is that a new training camp situation for you, or is that just getting some work in in a new location? Uh, no, uh, I was born and raised in Long Island, New York, and uh, – I actually first started out 
uh, training at uh, Sarah BJJ uh, with Matt Sarah and all those guys. And then I came down to Tampa, Florida to go to school. I went to University of Tampa. And uh, when I came down here, I linked up with Matt Arroyo and started training at Grace Tampa South and started uh, my fighting fighting career as an amateur. And I went pro down here. And then I moved home uh, to Long Island about three years ago, three, four years ago. And uh, I've been kind of splitting, splitting my camps between uh, Long Island and Tampa now. And, and so this one, did you do the same thing? Was this a, a split situation where you spent a little time in Tampa, a little time in New, in New York? Yeah, yeah. I, I split it up pretty pretty good in, there in this camp. And that's interesting, too. I, I've seen more and more fighters nowadays using sort of that, that multiple coaches scenario and multiple training camps. Is, is there a particular benefit you see from that, or is it just that like you like both guys quite a bit? Um, you know, I love both. I love both teams and, uh, you know, they're, they're both, I've, I've got a great schedule in Long Island back home. I got a great schedule, uh, here in Tampa and, uh, you know, Long Island will always be home. I got my family there. I got my fiance there, you know, that, that's my home. But, uh, sometimes when I, when I come down, I get, I get too comfortable sometimes at home, you know, my, my bed's a little too comfy uh, you know, I got, I got my woman making all my, all my meals and, and, uh, you know, making the bed and, and everything. And then, and then I got to make a little bit of a, uh, of a change and I'll go down to Tampa and I, I'm kind of like a, a nomad down here. And, uh, you know, I'm standing in a little, little, uh, cheap little Airbnb room and, and I'm kind of alone down here. I'm, I'm down here for a reason. I'm focused. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just good switch up. And, uh, you know, I got, I got great coaches in, in both places and, uh, you know, everybody gets it and we make it work. I like that a lot. And, and just out of curiosity too, you're, you're heading out to fight Island. Obviously that's a, a tough situation with the traveling as well. Which coaches are, are coming with you to, to corner you in that fight? Um, I'm bringing my Tampa guys with me. I got my, uh, my head coach and, uh, manager, Matt Arroyo. And then uh, I got my Muay Thai coach down here, uh, Dan Rawlings. And then uh, I got this kid I've been beating up for my whole career, Billy Q, coming with me. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Now, I'm, I'm curious, too. You know, you said you, you like that idea that getting out of that comfort zone, not having, you know, all of the, the comforts that you have, you know, in up in, in Long Island. You're going to probably one of the the least normal places for you to be, right? Like you're you're heading out to Fight Island in Abu Dhabi, a huge traveling distance. Obviously, a whole weird uh, quarantine situation. Uh, has it like hit you yet that that you're about to go on this like crazy traveling journey to go fight for the you know like you you didn't fight in 2020, you haven't gone through this yet. Like, is it kind of hit you yet? Yeah, it definitely has, and I'm so excited, honestly. Uh, you know, as soon as I, I heard about the uh, Fight Island, uh, you know, last year, I, I wanted to I wanted to go. I was getting some serious like Mortal Kombat vibes. You know? <laughs> I was like, I need to I need to get out there and, and fight on Fight Island, and uh, you know, ha- get getting this fight uh, on on uh, on a big on such a big pay per view card. Uh, uh, on fight island you know i i understand that there's definitely uh some more obstacles you know with the long flight and then uh the time change i'm 
I'm pretty sure I'm going to be fighting at like 5:30 a.m. Abu Dhabi time. So, uh, but, uh, you know, these, these challenges, uh, really excite me and, uh, you know, I'm preparing for all of them and, uh, I'm ready to, uh, to meet these challenges head on. Absolutely. Now I, I want to talk to you a little bit about the fight specifically too, because you're fighting Atman and Ziatar, who's got a fair amount of hype behind him and, and for good reason, you know, his, his striking has looked really good in his first few fights in the UFC obviously you you've got a really good wrestling game as well your jiu-jitsu if if i'm not mistaken if i'm not speaking out of turn here you're brown belt and bjj is this one that you see kind of as a is a style clash fight where, with you being the the super talented grappler with with good striking and him being the talented striker with some grappling um you know i i love to mix up everything you know that's one of my my favorite things about uh mixed martial arts is mixing all the different martial arts and uh, i think that's what comes most natural to me and um you know that that's what really excites me is to be able to go out there and show all the different uh aspects of mma um and then this opponent you know atman he's uh he's another hype train you know i feel like most of the guys i fight my last couple guys i fought in the ufc were all hype trains um and uh but this guy's good you know he's undefeated 13 and 0 with like 11 first round knockouts and uh you know these are the kind of fights that get me going that really really excite me you know that that I have no problem waking up early for and putting in the extra work for and uh and you know this guy he's good he's undefeated but he's never been tested you know he hasn't been tested like I plan on testing him and uh we're going to see what he's made of. And, and I was going to ask you that too. Do, do you feel an extra set of hype for, I mean, you mentioned obviously being on this card, but also being against the guy who, who people know. You, you said you, you have fought guys in the past like that. Jalen Turner, Luis Pena. Like those are guys who were super hyped. You find extra motivation in that, especially when you get in the cage? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, I, I always want the biggest fights possible on the biggest cards. And, uh, you know, this is definitely one of them. For sure. All right. So before I let you go, I do got to ask you, uh, how do you see this fight ending if, if we could get a prediction out of you? You know, I'm going to uh, drag him into deep water and drown him. I love love the answer. And once again, fans, you've heard it here first. This is Matt Favola, who fights Atman Aziatar at UFC 257. Matt, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Anytime, man. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Matt the Steamroller Fravola. I, of course, am Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. And before we get to the bulk of the show, i got to let you know that that interview was brought to you by Covert Cat. Are you sick of having to decide between a rash guard that looks like a magic eye and one with 10 cartoon characters on it? Maybe you're like me and you don't like to show up to grappling tournaments looking like a knockoff superhero. And if you are like me, then you really should check out Covert Cat. Because Covert Cat brings you minimalist, no-gi wear for both BJJ and MMA. Their graphics are sharp, clean, and not filled with a bunch of frills. Check out their whole line on their Instagram, at Covert Cat Brand, or on their website, thecovertcat.com. Designed in Australia with a low fixed shipping rate, worldwide it doesn't matter where you live you're gonna want to get yourself some covert cat i of course now am joined by my co-host shockwave dave tremonte dave let's start by talking about the habib decision or the lack thereof it seems like we were sold wolf tickets to it what are your thoughts 
Wow, Gumby, I'm so glad you asked me that question. Listen, I've been an MMA fan since 1994, and I get that this is the fight business, and we're not talking about the Boy Scouts here. I don't expect good and pure things to come from MMA promotion, but in fight fan, I this is a top five worst promotional tactic <laughs> I've ever seen. Nothing was said. You know, I, I, I just can't get over the fact that Dana White, they knew they had some great real estate, prime time, not prime time, but in the middle of the day on ABC, first time they were ever on ABC. And I get what he was trying to do. He wanted to drive viewership for this big announcement. But hey, bud, Dana, you've been at this game a long time. It's kind of good to have a definitive announcement. And what annoys me so much about it is the fact that, quote unquote, Khabib said, he needs to see something spectacular. Well, now I question the validity of this fight if something spectacular happens, because that's just too perfect, like a Disney movie or a WWE fight. It's scripted, bro. But to also ignore Charles, Charles Oliveira's last performance, he's very deserving of a title shot. Was that not spectacular? So are we really just saying that if Connor does something spectacular? Because even if Dustin beats Connor, I still think Charles Oliveira is worthy of that Khabib title shot. So the whole thing, it's so murky and undefinitive. And to base an entire, you know, the real estate of ABC and use that goodwill on something so undefined, it annoys me to no end. And I have to say one more thing, Gummy, before I hear your opinion on it. Is it not a little disgusting that Khabib retired as his dying father's last wish if we were to understand his Octagon exit interview uh, this past fall after beating Justin Gaethje? And now you have Dana White, the promoter, trying to talk him back into it. Hey, bro, if he made a promise to his dying father, leave well enough alone. Do I want him to fight again? Of course I do. Do I think maybe some things were rushed because of the weight of the moment and everything that happened in 2020 in 2020 absolutely but then to make a huge announcement like something was going to be said and not to have an announcement fuck you uncle dana i still love you what do you think yeah i think you you hit the nail on the head on so many different pieces but the thing that stuck out to me the most was like you know you, you can say what you want about his choice to wheel it out there but it almost felt like it, after you do the promotion, like, hey, we're going to go talk. Because if you looked at their social media for, like, hours upon hours upon hours before they had their, their chat behind closed doors, the social media team was all over it. Dana was like, we're going to turn this into an announcement no matter what because he's either going to say yes or no, right? And then, like, he got in there and, like, I think Habib probably was like, no, no way. And Dana just wanted that payday so bad that he was like, can you at least tell me maybe? And then Dana didn't realize that both yes or no would have been better answers than maybe, right? Like if his announcement was that Habib is definitely not coming back and this fight is going to be for, you know, somebody who does something spectacular is now the number one contender and fighting Charles Oliveira for the belt. I'm jacked up. I would have been jacked up for that, even saying Habib isn't coming back. If he said Habib is definitely coming back and he's fighting either somebody who did something spectacular or Charles Oliveira, I'm jacked up for that. Maybe, maybe it's the worst possible answer. And I bet you Dana sort of played himself into that too, thinking that like when, when Habib came in and said no, he just couldn't take no for an answer. He had to keep pushing. And then like, I think he pushed himself to a point that like he was in a worse situation than the first no that he got. 
Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Maybe was worth worse than yes or no. And apparently, according to Uncle Dana and Connor, Connor wants to fight three times this year. So I would have even been happy with, you know, I do I think Connor versus Dustin should be for the title? Probably not. I would have actually been very happy with, hey, whoever wins this fight is being Charles Oliveira on a quick turnaround, which a lot more people are doing this year, 2020, on a quick turnaround in March. And that would have been an awesome fucking announcement to me. But this was just a jumbled mess. But I'll tell you what's not a jumbled mess. It's our favorite segment on the show. It's fights, dogs, parlays for UFC 257. Gumby, I can't wait to start breaking this down. But before we do, I have to ask, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, it doesn't matter because you can log your training sessions, tag techniques, tag friends, and all kinds of other great features that allow you to stay on top of your training and meet your goals. So make sure you download Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right, we will start with the main event. As we are known to do, we have Conor McGregor, a very solid, almost 3-1 to one favorite. You could get him at minus 275, and he's taken on Dustin Poirier, plus 225. This, of course, is a rematch from 2014. Conor with a first-round knockout. Poirier has certainly improved since then. That fight was, of course, at 145. This one will be taking place at 155. Conor looks absolutely jacked he's hockey bro i don't know what he's eating out there in ireland but it's potatoes loaded up with steroids or he just has a great diet and nutrition plan because i've never seen connor in better shape we of course saw him last year he was knocking out cowboy cerrone breaking his nose at least with shoulder strikes first round tko before that you'd have to go back three years to him beating eddie alvarez at msg and somewhere in between there there was this boxing match with floyd but i try to erase that from my memory Dustin Poirier, on the other hand, as I mentioned, since last facing Connor, he's really evolved as a mixed martial artist. Um, he is coming off a huge de- unanimous decision win over Dan Hooker. Of course, lost to Khabib back in September of 2019 via rear naked choke in Abu Dhabi for the title. And before that title shot, he had reeled off uh, really uh, five. He had reeled off four wins in a row, and also a no contest versus Eddie Alvarez, but. The four wins included wins over the likes of Anthony Pettis, Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, and Max Holloway, just the upper echelon of the UFC. So the only bad mark on his resume dating back to 2016 when he lost to Michael Johnson, throwing a win against Jim Miller there, the only bad mark on his resume in the last four years was losing to the GOAT, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Who you got here? So I'm glad you brought up Mike, Michael Johnson and all of that, too, because Michael Johnson has a win over Tony Ferguson and Dustin Boyer, which is kind of a fun little tidbit there. Um, no, going with this fight, I, I'm taking Conor McGregor here, and, and I'll tell you why. So first of all, if you're planning on betting on this fight, you either pick Dustin Poirier or you don't bet on this fight because what's happening is you're seeing this line so wide because all the casuals are coming in, all very excited for another Conor McGregor fight, and that line is absolutely bloated. If you had him down around, you know, negative 185, maybe even negative 165 or lower numbers like that, I'd be all over Conor McGregor and betting that. But ultimately, I don't bet him anywhere near negative 300. That's absurd. The reason I like him in this fight, though, is because of the fighting style of Dustin Poirier. If you look at how he's beaten a lot of guys, he's beaten 
he likes to put a lot of volume and put a lot of pressure on people. He likes to turn things into a firefight. If you look at the, the amount of strikes landed in a lot of his fights, especially something like the Max Holloway fight, like his thing is he just overwhelms you. He just puts so much on you. And against a guy like Conor McGregor, I'm not sure that that's the right game plan, right? Like you want Conor to get frustrated. You want Conor to feel like he can't hit you and, and start to do things that tire himself out. You want to be able to wrestle Conor. And not that I don't think Poirier could wrestle Conor, but I just like, don't think he's going to be successful enough in it or go to it enough. And if he tries that like volume approach, Conor McGregor thrives in countering people, right? Like that's what he's really good at, making you make a mistake and then he hurts you. And so, like, if you try to play that volume game, the, the more punches you throw, the more likely you are to throw one that puts you in a bad position. And, and for me, it, it really only has to happen one or two times in that those first couple of rounds for Connor to have taken advantage of it. I, look, I, I think, you know, everybody with the, the time off, we always kind of doubt Connor. But the, the fact of the matter is he's one of the better strikers 155 pounds has ever seen and 145 pounds has ever seen, especially in terms of the power he generates. So... I'm worried about, you know, Poye going out there with the volume approach against a guy who counters so well. So I'm going to go with Connor, and I think probably by knockout, to be honest with you. Yeah, I feel the same way. Typically with the long layoffs, I, I tend to stick away from those bites. Uh, and also as someone at the 155-pound range or age, I should say, starts to age out a little bit. I mean, that these are the most competitive divisions, 145 to 170. And the layoffs, as you get older, you get slower. This ain't heavyweight where you could be competitive into your, you know, 40s. And I'm not saying that Conor McGregor is an old man by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, just the fact that he hasn't, he fought twice in the past four years, that doesn't really warm my heart. You have killers in at 155, 170, 145 as well. Um, I tend to stay away from that, but here's what I know. Dustin Poirier is not going to play to Connor's weaknesses, which is to say he's going to grapple him up against the cage and wear him down. If this is going to be contested for the most part on the feet, well, guess what? I'm picking Connor McGregor. You already laid this out, so I'm not going to add anything to it. I'm just saying I agree. Let's move on. We have a very fun fight at 155 as well with Dan Hooker and Michael Johnson. Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler. (laughs) See, we talked Michael Johnson and then it went in my head. Uh, Dan Hooker is a minus 130 favorite. Chandler a plus 110 dog. So these are, you can almost say, razor thin odds really. Uh, And very exciting for Chandler, Michael, to be making his debut against someone so high level in Dan Hooker and such a high level striker at that Chandler, after losing to Pitbull uh, Patricio Frere back in May of 2019, reeled off two KO wins in Bellator, beat Sydney Outlaw, which sounds fake, and beat Benson Henderson. Uh, we know Benson Henderson, of course, and that was back in August of 2020, and now here he is in the UFC. Uh, Dan Hooker, on the other end, lost to the aforementioned Dustin Poirier back in June of 2020. Before that, he reeled together a very nice three-fight win streak, KO win over James Vick, decision win over Ally Akinta, uh, split decision win over Paul Felder. And then you could also go back, if you want to go back five fights, he lost to Edson Barbosa, who's knocking on the door of a title shot via KO. He beat Gilbert Burns. He beat Jim Miller before that. Uh, so some really nice names on his resume for wins and losses in the UFC to guys like Edson Barbosa and Dustin Poirier, Yair Rodriguez as well. 
Uh, so he's really only lost to the best of the best. Who are you taking here, Gumby? So first of all, I just want to say, because we talked about the Habib announcement earlier, or lack thereof, if there was somebody who truly could get Habib out of retirement with a spectacular performance, I actually believe it's Michael Chandler. Uh, and let me lay that, that groundwork first. I think Michael Chandler being a Bellator champion and with a pristine, undefeated UFC record, granted it is zero, zero right now, uh, but would be 1-0, I think the ability to beat another champion from another prestigious-ish company in Bellator could potentially be something that draws Habib out if he looked great. Now, here's the thing. I think that fact in having that in the back of his head is the worst thing that could happen to Michael Chandler in this fight. Because Michael Chandler would win this fight against Dan Hooker, in my opinion, if he came out here and he wrestled. If he decided that his best attribute, which is the fact that he is an, actually a phenomenal wrestler, and he put Dan Hooker on his back a bunch of times, he would probably come out and win this fight. But with that being said, that ain't going to put him anywhere near a title shot. In fact, it probably puts him farther away from a title shot than he was before the fight. So with that being said, if he comes out here and tries to box Dan Hooker, I think he gets knocked out. I think Dan Hooker puts him out if that's the case. Um, and I could totally see him coming out with the game plan of being like, okay, I'm going to punch with him because I'll be able to to spark that, that title shot or I'll be able to get that title shot I really deserve. And then when it's not working, shooting the takedown, and what does Dan Hooker have that's phenomenal? Knees. Dan Hooker throws some mean-ass knees. He actually knocked out Jim Miller with one. Like, he, the dude throws some freaking mean knees. So I just think that, like, if that is truly what Michael Chandler takes from it, which I think he's going to, it's a nightmare. It's the worst possible scenario for him. Uh, and, and not that I don't think Dan Hooker could possibly win this fight anyway, but I think added, adding in that facet makes me even more confident with my pick of Dan Hooker here. All right. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see. I always feel like there is a bit of an adjustment going to the UFC, uh, even from like a Bellator. Uh, but we've seen this dating back to even Pride. Of course, that was more of an adjustment coming from a ring to an octagon. But I never really like going out on a limb for a debut. Now watch Chandler go out there, wrestle Hooker up, and, and beat him in the first round and make me look silly. But I, too, lean Hooker in this. All right, let's go to another very exciting fight on the card. JoJo Calderwood, a favorite of this show, is a minus 120 favorite, and she's facing Jessica I. Uh, I, you could get as a uh, dog at plus 105, so very slight dog at that. I is coming off the loss to Cynthia Cavillo via unanimous decision, uh, beat Vivian Arroyo uh, via unanimous decision before that, and then lost to Valentina Shevchenko being one of, via one of the greatest head kicks we've ever seen. So she's one and two in her last three. Calderwood's actually coming off a submission loss to Jennifer Maya, beat Andrea Lee before that via split decision, and lost to Caitlin Chikagian before that via unanimous decision. So also one and two in her last three. Battle of the one and twos in their last threes. Both girls trying to right the ship here. Who you taking? I'm going to take Calderwood here, but surprisingly, I'm going to take Calderwood for a reason I don't think a lot of people see coming, because a lot of people, I think, see Jessica I as this... Uh, I mean, maybe call her a wrestle boxer. Uh, she likes to wrestle people up a little bit, and when that doesn't work, uh, she can box a little bit. I actually think that JoJo Calderwood wins this fight using takedowns. Uh, and, and let me paint this picture for you, because not a lot of people think she's she's a takedown artist here. But if you take their two fights against the aforementioned Caitlin Chokagian, somebody who I think is probably one of the best women's flyweights in the world... 
Je- Jessica I lost to Caitlin Chokagian and attempted four takedowns in that fight. She failed on all of them. She did not look good doing so. Calderwood, meanwhile, uh, took her down three out of four times. I actually think she won that split decision that they wound up giving the, the scorecards the other way. But I, I think Calderwood actually has a decided wrestling advantage here, despite the fact that we think of her as this Muay Thai striker. Since she started working with John Wood at Syndicate MMA, she moved out of you know all those other gyms she was working at, either in Scotland, I'm pretty sure she was working in Canada for a while. She sort of reinvented her game and, and realized that she's pretty damn good at wrestling in addition to her striking, and when she blends the two, she's even better. So for that reason, I, I actually think she keeps uh, Jessica I thinking about that takedown enough that she winds up being too defensive and, and Calderwood can steal a whole bunch of rounds either with that top game, the aforementioned top game, or by stinging her enough on the feet with the fact that she's worried about the takedown. All right. I'm not going to argue with you on that, and I do like that idea of her making it more of a grapple battle, if you will. Let's get to our uh, dog of the week. It's shoe face. It's Antonio Carlos Jr. plus 130 over Brad Tavares. Break her down. So first of all, this is an extremely hard fight to call in the first place because both of these guys have not won uh, since the same exact card in April of 2018, which is a real long time ago. Both of them coming off of back-to-back losses and a, a fairly substantial layoff. But with that being said, I, I really like Antonio Carlos Jr. in here because maybe this is just the grappler in me, but I want to believe that his grappling is enough in this case. You know, like Brad Tavares, certainly good at defending the takedown and has in the past. But Antonio Carlos Jr., I think we people forget that he took down Marvin Vittori a bunch of times in their fight. Um, in, in, you know, not for nothing, but in retrospect, that fight is really impressive on Antonio Carlos Jr.'s record because, like, if you're able to take down Marvin Vittori, who now might be, if not the number one contender, damn close at middleweight, it shows me he's got a lot of skills. And I think in this case, those skills are enough to get Brad Tavares down and we all know what his submission game looks like. He's got like 38 rear naked chokes on his on his record. So I don't need to tell you that it probably only takes one or two times to get him down to be able to possibly finish him off. And and of course, like you know, like I said, it's a hard fight to call. So when you see plus odds on a fight that you think might be a coin flip, that's a great underdog to take. All right, we'll wrap this up with our parlay to play. It's Sarah McMahon, a minus one thirty favorite with Khalil Roundtree, a minus 320 favorite. But put these two favorites together. Rub your hands together, and you're going to get plus money. Let's hear it. That's right. You're going to wind up with about plus 145 on this if you put these two together. And Sarah McMahon against Juliana Pena. Look, if you look at Juliana Pena's record, it's pretty easy to see what happens when she's threatened with a lot of takedowns. She panics. Uh, we saw her do it against Nico Montano, who she ultimately won that fight, but she did concede a bunch of takedowns to Nico Montano. And not that I'm disparaging Nico, because I like Nico Montano as a fighter. I think she probably gets unfair treatment from the media based on uh, you know, all that happened with that flyweight title and being the first flyweight champ. But she's not a great wrestler, right? Like I do not believe she's a phenomenal wrestler. And all that's being replaced here for Juliana Pena is she's being replaced by an Olympic wrestler in Sarah McMahon, which is got to be a nightmare. Like, you had trouble wrestling somebody who's not a wrestler. Suddenly you're faced with an Olympic wrestler. I think Sarah McMahon here rolls and rolls easily. As for Khalil Roundtree, he's fighting Marcin Procneo, who somehow is getting a fourth fight in the UFC. I don't know how this is happening. He's been knocked out three times in the first round. 
uh, three first round KO losses. And then they send him in there with a Muay Thai specialist who's been training at Tiger Muay Thai and he's got hammers for hands. So, I mean, like, I don't know how this line is as low as negative 320. If you told me it was negative 500, I still might be interested. So, yeah, I, I like packaging these two together because I think the paths to victory are so crystal clear. Well, I'll tell you what else is crystal clear. We're pretty good at what we do. Follow us along on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. We'll be tweeting during the show this weekend. If you follow our advice, let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty. Gumby, let's keep this train moving. I believe you got to speak with Juliana Pena. Is that true? That is 100% true. I was joined by Juliana Pena, who's talking about the aforementioned match with Sarah McMahon. So we're going to transition to that interview for you guys right now. And joining me now is Juliana Pena, who fights Sarah McMahon on Fight Island January 16th. So, Juliana, I got to talk to you about the, the last fight, because obviously it's a big one. It was one where we all felt that you were kind of close to a title shot with a victory. You, you have a tough loss against Jermaine Durandamine. How did you handle that loss, given all of the factors at stake, and, and sort of what was the, the method going back into training? Um, you know, it's obviously tough to, to lose, you know, um, to the number one girl in the world. But the, the takeaway that I had there is that you can't fight once a year, you know, and that I needed to get back in there as soon as possible. So, you know, that's kind of been the game plan uh, leading up to this next fight is that, you know, when I fight my next one, I'm going into rounds four and five as opposed to starting back over again at round one. I like that mentality. And I was going to ask you, too, this is your first chance to fight in a short period of time. You're, you're fighting only three months after, a little less than three months after your last fight. And, and I don't think you've done that since you were on the Ultimate Fighter. How, how does that feel in training camp? Do you feel a noticeable difference? Um, yeah, I feel like it's not like I have to start all over again from ground zero and and, and get back into shape and, and you know, build up this, this big... Um, you know, gas tank. I feel like I'm still running on that same gas tank. I wasn't injured, and that was the biggest uh, thing for me. If if I was injured, you know, I probably would have had no choice but to take more time off. But I literally had, you know, a little bruise on my eye, and that was about it. And I was I was completely um, unscathed, other than you know going to sleep on national television. So I was fine, and uh, I'm, I'm I was ready to get back into camp and and go full force again for another fight. For sure. Now, I want to ask you, too, because you you made light of going out on national television, but you seem to be handling it pretty well. Is is that something that, that, you know, time kind of heals all things or or were you, you know, pretty okay with, you know, this is what MMA is? Yeah, you know, I think that there's been a lot of growing up that I've been doing in in the sport over the last, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, 11, 12 years. I think that, you know, before it was like, if I lost, it was literally the end of the world for me. I wanted to hide under a rock and die and literally not show my face ever again. But I think as I've gotten older, it's kind of like wins and losses are, are a part of the sport. You, you know, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. And that's just, you know, how it is. Some days you're on top of the world and the next day the world's on top of you. So it's kind of the ebb and flow of the game. And, and it is is what it is you go out there and you try your hardest and you go get them next time i love it and i i love the the mentality here and i, I just gotta ask too so you, you said you like the quick turnaround you like the ability to just start with rounds four and five rather than starting from scratch is that your mentality going into 2021 are you looking to rip off fights every you know two or three months here you know, I can't predict the future. I can just say that as long as I stay healthy and don't get injured, that I should be fighting a, a lot more than uh, you've seen in the past. I think that, 
you know, me being injured, blowing out, you know, both of my knees actually, or, or getting, you know, dislocated arms are, are things that have kept me away from the sport, not because I don't want to fight, but just because I'm trying to heal my body. And I think that that's what takes the longest time. I also had a, a, a kid and that took me out for a while too. So I think that, you know, with between injuries and, you know, having life outside of the octagon getting in the way, as long as I stay uh, uninjured, I should be fighting a lot more often. And do you find that in where you are in your career, you have a better sense of where your body is at, too? Because I know fighters have said they're a little bit more reckless when they start their career and they, they don't let their bodies heal. Do, do you feel like you have a better grasp of where your body's at now and, and feel like that's an easier thing to do is to stay healthy? Yeah, definitely. I think that overtraining is definitely something that I've been a victim of in the past. And that's something that as long as well as my mentality of, you know, going with the ebb and flow of the sport that I have also matured in that aspect, too. I'm not killing three practices seven days a week anymore. I'm not, you know, burning myself into the ground uh, by the time the fight comes. And, and I think that that's something that um, I was definitely doing in the past that I'm definitely not doing now. You know, we're, we're going to get in a fight at the end of the day either way. And I just need to make sure that I make it to the octagon as healthy and as strong as possible. I love it. Now, I wanted to talk to you about something I saw on your Instagram recently, too, because I saw you got a chance to train with Misha Tate again after all of these years, you know, away from the Ultimate Fighter and away from that time. Can you can you share with us what led to that and sort of, uh, you know, what it was like to run it back with your old, uh, you know, tough cast, well, not cast member, but tough member? Uh, yeah, so Misha was my tough coach. Um, and we're both from Washington state and then Misha just moved back from Singapore and, uh, you know, my coach is a longtime friend of hers as well. So she was in town visiting and she came to the training room and, and we got to, to roll and it was great to, to, you know, share the math again, especially as us now things are different, you know, we're both moms, um, and we're both, you know, coming back into, into, you know, the MMA thing. I mean, I've been, I've been still doing it, but she's, you know, just getting back into rolling and stuff. And it's, it's, I think was very motivating for her as well because she had a second kid. And, and so to see that she was back on the mat, you know, four months after she had a baby, I think was very, um, very, uh, it brought her a lot of joy. And so I was just happy to, to see her, see my old friend and, and to, to get some rounds. in. I think it was a, it was a good time. That's awesome to hear. Now, I, I, we got to get to talking about this fight because obviously that's the thing that people are most excited about. You're fighting Sarah McMahon here, and it's sort of an interesting matchup because if you you know you look at your record, your your record is it got a ton of submissions on it. You got five pro wins by submission of your uh, of of your nine wins. So you've got the majority of your wins coming by submission. You're fighting a woman here who's got a real great wrestling game, right? She's an Olympian, silver medalist in wrestling. How do you see that grappling aspect playing into it? Um, you know, I think that Sarah McMahon is one of the toughest girls in the division. She's definitely um, fought pretty much everybody in in the division, and, and she's a tough cookie. Um, and she is a silver Olympic wrestler. And I think that um, MMA kind of changes things. You know, when there's punches involved, when when there's knees, and when there's you know jujitsu submissions, I think that it changes the game. And it's not just a wrestling match. So it, it'll be a very interesting uh, fight to see play out. And I definitely anticipate the fight, you know, taking place pretty much everywhere. Well, we're looking forward to seeing it. Now, I usually ask my fighters, not a ton of them love to give me a response, but I usually ask them as I end the interview for a prediction. How do you see this one ending on January 16th? 
you know, I'm going to do everything that I can and everything in my power to get my hand raised. And I'm going to, you know, fight tooth and nail to, to make sure that that happens. A, a win is a win, and I'll take it any way that I can. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Juliana Pena, who fights Sarah McMahon on Fight Island January 16th. Juliana, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you so much. Have a good one. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank the mothership, CagesidePress.com. They have the best and most complete content out there, so make sure you're checking out not just what we do over there, but what all of the wonderful writers do at CagesidePress.com. Plus, be sure to help out the people who help out us, which is Maroon Social, Jock Market, and Covert Cat. And, of course, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will see you then.